We're in the eighth chapter of the book of Romans. Uh, got down last time, maybe to 20, 21, somewhere in there. But we've got kind of a discourse here that goes together and kind of a turn of thought and not, not in a way that, that that would sound either. We're still looking at the Holy Spirit and the work of God the Spirit in mankind. We saw that the Father, God the Father, His plan from before the foundation of the world was to bring salvation to man. He made that salvation possible through the death of the Word of God, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And the work of the Holy Spirit is there calling men, drawing men, regenerating men, and dwelling with them in this world. And so we saw the, the change of life that He's brought in the lives of them that have come to the gospel. But He's also a companion in sufferings as well. And when we get down to verse 18, He says, I reckon the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So there is, there is, without question, an eternal victory coming unto those that are in Jesus Christ. And, you know, that's, that's easily excitable to talk about. Heaven's wonderful to talk about and to think about. But the only folks that are going to enjoy that eternal victory are those that the work of God has taken place in their heart. Those that the Holy Spirit has regenerated and made new creatures out of them and they walk by the leadership of the Spirit today, and He dwells with them. For we know that if you have not the Spirit of Christ, you're none of His. That was the baseline that He provided in this same chapter. So let's read maybe 19 to 23 together. We'll look at these together. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. We'll stop right there. That's a lot to think about. So as you think about these verses now, and these are highly debated. If you've got five commentaries, you're probably going to get three different explanations about what these verses are saying, who this applies to, and what the writer is talking about. But I, I don't believe that it's that difficult. And I could be totally wrong. But I believe in verse 21, the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So the creature then must be somebody that's born again, wouldn't you say? He's, there is no deliverance into the glorious light of the children of God to them that are lost. So it's got to be to save people. So let's look at the meaning of some of these words. The earnest expectation, the intense anticipation of the creature, the original formation. 
Now, as you know, them that are saved, there's, there's two of every one of us. There's an outward seed of Adam. That's the original man. He was there first. Adam was first. And then Christ. Well, the natural man was first. And afterwards, God drew us in to the liberty of the children of God, saving us and redeeming us by His grace. So that original formation waiteth for the manifestation, so waiteth to expect fully the manifestation, the full disclosure. So God's going to reveal what this manifestation of the Son of God is. And you know, when we're young, when life is well, when all things are good, I don't believe this is that weighty on us. But now he's talking, remember verse 18, the sufferings of this present time. And you put yourself in this day especially that Paul, Paul a man that suffered greatly for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this day the church was shut out, shut out of economies, shut out of business. They were not allowed to buy or to sell. If you were a farmer, you weren't allowed at the farmer's market. You weren't allowed to have part with others. You were cut off because of your walk with Christ. And not only that, there were persecutors and haters. Those that were Jews that as Paul before his conversion hunted them down, wanted them thrown in prison, wanted them to be beaten, and wanted them to be killed. But you know, that's not just, that's not just singular to this time. But you're going to find that throughout history in different places of the world, for the cause and the testimony of Jesus, multitudes have suffered for that cause. Multitudes have endured great torments from religion and from government and from the wickedness of man. Now, you say what you want, all of that stirred up by the devil. The devil works through organized religion and the devil can work through governments to produce and to spew out his lies and deceit and to bring judgment, if you want to call it judgment, condemnation in the flesh against the church. The Roman government, the Roman Empire, the the greatest nation on the face of the earth in this day. They had the power. They had the authority. And maybe in the early parts... They weren't as opposed to it. But even they, it was Caesar that took Paul's head off. Nero. And so all through time there's been sufferings. There's been trials. And we have been greatly blessed to not know not know, not know a, a half a percent of what these people went through. Children that daddy was burned at the stake because of the Lord Jesus Christ. That happened. And it wasn't once or twice either. Eleven of twelve apostles were murdered for the cause of Christ, and many others were as well. So this suffering then, you put yourself in this place where when you get up today, you don't know where you're going to be this evening. You don't know whether they're going to break in on you and beat you with a whip. 
You don't know whether they're going to come and take some of your family away. You know, Paul says in one place, it's better for them that are unmarried to remain. It's not a sin to marry, but it's better. You know why he said that? Because they'd come take your wife, and they'd come take your children, they come take your husband, and it gives them weapons to induce greater suffering on you to try to get you to renounce the cause of Christ. It's a different time today than it was then. But you put yourself there, or as Paul and Silas, when they're beaten and cast in the inner prison, no doctrine on their wounds, they're left open wounds and they're shackled, and in the inner prison, you know what that outward man wants? That is suffering. That is in pain. That's actively bleeding. That's sore. That's bones that ache and that are in, uh, suffering for the cause of Christ. He says, I wonder what it's going to be like when I get rid of this thing. This thing that's enduring all of this suffering and all of this pain and all of this torment, I, I can't wait to get rid of this man and be in the glorious liberty of the children of God. I believe that's where Paul was. Paul said, it's far better for me to go on, but it's needful for me to be here. So I'm going to labor and I'm going to work during the time that I've got here. I'm going to labor that you might be established. But inwardly he groaned to take on that new body was like unto the Son of God. So the original formation waiteth to expect fully. It's not a hope so. One day maybe it's going to happen. But in them that are saved, they have the earnest of the Spirit, God dwelling in them. It's as certain as anything the Word of God's ever said. You don't have to question whether or not you're going to win when you die. Paul said, I know that it's going to be better. And he wrote to the church at Corinth, and he said, for we know that if this earthly house is dissolved, we've got another building of God that's eternal in the heavens. A victory. And so, the creature was made subject to vanity. So, subject, subordinate to, placed under as a soldier. You sign up for the military, they don't say, all right, fellas, you pick which commanding officer that you want to be under. They assign you one. They say, this is your sergeant. This is where you're sleeping. This is what you're wearing. And there's no questioning the authority. Well, that's the way man is. We were made subject to vanity. That word means devoid of truth or depravity. So Paul... Paul was made subject to vanity. Do you think Paul would have willingly chosen to suffer like that he did? Did the church, was the church looking for a way to suffer in this day like they were suffering? I believe that their desire would have been to got out of that. And I believe Paul said in several places, pray that I might be delivered from unreasonable and ungodly men, for all men have not faith. Pray that I might have safe trip to come to you. Pray that, that I would be released from these bonds 
and that I could come to you once again and see you face to face. And so Paul and the church, and good grief anybody, anybody that's going to suffer, they didn't choose that. That would have been the exact opposite of what they wanted. But they were made subject. They were placed under that. They were given that, not willingly, not voluntarily. It wasn't volunteer. But by reason of Him who hath subjected the same in hope. Who subjected the church in an expectation of an eternal salvation? It was the Lord that did that. Who subjects the church to the vanity, the depravity, and the suffering of the world? The Lord allows that as well. The Lord subjects to vanity because the creature itself... Now, this subjecting to vanity sounds like a mean master here, but it's all for a purpose, and we'll get into that on down into this chapter. But God is subjecting them to vanity a lot like He did the children of Israel when they were down in Egypt. As long as they were doing well and were favored and were rich and were growing, the children of Israel had no desire to leave Egypt. And I know that because they stayed there from the days of Joseph, 430 years. They didn't seek to leave. They didn't ask to leave. They dwelled there. They were blessed. And they increased. And they multiplied. But something's going to change. There's going to be a new Pharaoh come in. He's not going to know Joseph. He's going to hate Israel. And he's going to say, you, you lay the burden on them. The taskmasters make their duty hard. Take the straw away from them. And when their children are born, throw all the men in the river and kill them every one. Now who, who brought that to be? Did the Lord not bring that to be? Did the Lord not bring that suffering? But you know what that accomplished in them? They said, we need to pray and get out of this place. We need out from under Pharaoh. That's what happened to all them that are saved. In a spiritual picture, God subjected them to the guilt of their sin and iniquity, placing them under a burden that they could not bear, bringing them to a place of brokenness and heaviness that they had never known or experienced before in their life for the purpose that we would desire to come out of there. A place of sin and rebellion that I had no interest in coming out of. I enjoyed that lifestyle. That's what I chose willingly myself. But God subjected me and allowed me to see my depravity and my vanity and by such caused me to want to come out of that. Just as He did the children of Israel in Egypt. And so this vanity, this suffering that they're enduring, that the church has been subjected to, is all according to the plan of Almighty God. 
God's in control of that. God's in control of everything. An important thing to remember that we do not pray unto a God that knows nothing. We're not praying unto a God that has no power. But we're praying unto a God that is in control of all things. And if God so sees fit, He can open the inner prison and bring one in shackles out the front door and none of the guards know what's going on. Now did He let everybody out of prison like that? John the Baptist did not get out of prison. Herod took his head off. James, the brother of John, he didn't get out of prison. It was Herod again, took his head off. Paul didn't get out of prison and get to go back to the church at Ephesus. Nero took him out of prison and cut his head off. John didn't get to labor with the church any longer. He was sent to the Isle of Patmos and there he was left on his own in isolation. Not everybody gets out of prison. Not everybody escapes suffering in this life. Peter did once, but he's going to be crucified at the end of his life. They're going to carry him as the Lord Jesus says. You're going to be carried where you don't want to be carried. Where you don't want to go, that's where you're going to be taken. You know why he's going to be carried there? For the glory of the Savior that redeemed him from destruction. God's going to be glorified and magnified through His suffering and through His death. Well, that's awful cruel. Well, I'll say this. They suffered, but their sufferings have long been forgotten. And death has been swallowed up in victory. The sufferings of this present time, they're not going to be comparable to the glory that we're going to receive. You know, it's amazing to me that mothers endure the travail. And I've seen it. And if you've got children, you've seen it. Endure the travail right down. I mean, the, the greatest pain, most likely, that the woman's ever faced, there she is in it, right there. But you know, in five, six weeks, Boy, I'd like to have another little baby like this. And she's willing to subject herself to that again for the joy. That's, that's not even a, a valid comparison to the redemption that the Lord Jesus has provided His church. He's been made subject to vanity, not willingly, not by choice. Nobody would choose it. God's placed us there as a soldier because the creature itself shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. It's not just a spirit, that that's unseen, that's going to be delivered from vanity. This man's going to be delivered from vanity as well. The outward man is going to be delivered. The body is going to be delivered. You know, God's going to come one day, and I realize I'm going to die. They're going to plant this body in the ground, and my soul is going to be with the Lord. That's the Word of God. We know and understand that. The body is going to return to dust, depending on how long that it lays there. 
But you know, victory's coming one day even for the corrupt and the decayed body. The Lord's going to come one day and the bodies are going to get up in victory over the grave. The devil's not going to have one victory left. He's going to be completely defeated. And you know, my body and the bodies of those in the graveyard up here and all over our country, that's a victory of the devil. Sin brought that death on those bodies. But the Lord's when He comes, the victory of death is going to be swallowed up and bodies are going to raise. Bodies are going to raise incorruptible, undefiled by sin, with no poison running through the blood and no death to ever be faced again. The victory's coming. That's what the church is looking for. How in the world could Paul suffer? No doubt. Paul had friends that were Jews, that were high-ranking Jews from before he was saved. And you look at Paul and say, Paul, what in the world has got into you? You had it made. You could have been on the Sanhedrin. You quite possibly could have been elected to the high priest. He wasn't a Levite, but you didn't have to be then. It was political. You could have been the high priest and here you are and you're being whipped and you're shipwrecked and you're going hungry and you're laboring with your hands. What have you, what's got into you? And Paul could say, you know what I was. You know my former life. You know what I used to be, but you know today I am because God appeared to me and God redeemed me. Here I am, saved by the grace of God and I am looking to know Him and the power of His resurrection. And everything else is done that we might have Christ, that we might win through Him. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. The bondage of corruption, the body can't get away from it. Whether they're suffering or not, the body is bound in slavery, is a prisoner to corruption and to sin. Even in them that are saved, that set their mind to I'm going to do better and I'm going to draw closer and I'm going to resist. The body is still a servant of corruption. Ain't it something? We talked about it earlier in Romans. But the inward man has a desire. The inward man has a longing to please God. And we know and we desire and we want to please God. And outwardly, we can't find the strength to do it. This, this outward man's in bounds to corruption, but he's going to be set free of that corruption one day. The suffering of the flesh and the bondage of sin, all of that's going to be released. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Now here's the big lie that the devil tells people. The devil says it's just you. And God's picking on you. And God's being mean to you. 
and you ought to forget God and just go live for yourself, you'd be better off. Well, that's not true. The whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together. Now, not just mankind, but even the animals and beasts of the field. Winter's coming here. You know what it is for the birds to endure a winter? It's groaning and travailing and a continual work. The animals, they're continually working to eat and to feed themselves. And if they quit that for a minute, if the honeybees, Darren, if they quit working for a month, they're going to die out in the winter. They're not going to have what it takes to make it through the winter. I tell you, the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in the bondage of corruption of this life. But I say this as well. It may look like nobody else suffers, but everyone suffers. And I'm not going to say everybody suffers the same. But I am going to say that everyone suffers. Everyone faces their trials. The saved man and the lost man alike. The rich man and the poor man alike. We're, I, I realize our days no different than any other. In Psalm 73, Asaph is looking at the prosperity of the wicked and it almost makes him fall. But today, with social media and fake news... You see lifestyles of people and you know what it is? It's an image that they want you to see. And the truth is hidden so often. It's a lie. The devil is a liar and the father of it. He was a liar in the very beginning. He used a lie to murder mankind. He deceived Eve and caused her to sin. So know this, the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together. In Job chapter 14, and this is, this is very familiar Scripture. You all know it, and when I read the first few words, we'll probably quote the rest of it. Job 14 verse 1, Man that is born of a woman is of few days and full of trouble. You ever heard the saying, something all the time? It just about is. I mean, really. It really is just about it. Something going on all the time. Something to trouble your mind. Something that would trouble your heart. Something that would draw you away. Man that is born of a woman is few days and full of trouble. One more place in Hosea chapter 4, verse number 3. Therefore shall the land mourn, and every one that dwelleth therein shall languish, with the beasts of the field, with the fowls of heaven, yea, the fishes of the sea also shall be taken away. This life is a labor, and it's a labor for everything. Everything that liveth labors continually in this world. The whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And notice this now. 
It's not groaning for God to come back. The lost man's not groaning for God to come back. But the lost man's groaning in pain. And as the years come on, the groaning gets louder and greater. As the years come on, Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 12, a wise man writing very wise words, before the evil days come. You know what happens as we get older? There's more bad and less good. And eventually the good runs completely out. These people living, people that we know, their good days are gone. there's There's not a good day left. People that loved grandchildren can't bear to be around them any longer. The anxiety and the trouble and the fear in the mind. Those days are coming. It's coming on everyone. There's only one way of escape. You die first. But the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. But you know, we're not like the world that's got no hope. They're groaning and travailing in pain, but they've got no hope of deliverance. My God, to be in a place that there's nothing good left here, and the only thing that you've got to look forward to is the downward plunge into the fire of hell. I know that's not pleasant. It's true. But you know, I got family. I got family that the good of their life is gone. And it's a suffering day by day. And you know what I pray? God, just give them a few more days because this is all they got. Once they leave here, it's far worse. Just be merciful and give them a few more days. Totally different from somebody that's got the first fruits of the Spirit. You know what? You can pray for them. God, if it be Your will, take them on for it's better. My God, what a difference. You know what? who provided that difference? God provided that difference. It was the work of God that redeemed you. And to think that people that at least claim to be saved are going to be bitter towards God when you have a greater hope than 99.9% of people in this world. We've got the hope of deliverance from everything. From suffering. From corruption. From sin. From death. From worry. From fear. From hatred. From persecution. We've got the promise of a complete deliverance from everything. So even in suffering, Paul and Silas said, let's sing praise to our Savior. Because if they cut our heads off tonight, we're going to be with Him. And we've got hope of a better life. Not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption 
of our body, the redemption, the ransom in full, or the riddance. So there's a ransom in full and a riddance that's going to take place. The corrupt sin, there's going to be a riddance of that. And the outward man is going to receive full redemption. But now wait a minute. I thought you said we're already fully redeemed. And we are. We are as redeemed today as we'll ever be. But there is, and I think this is great, inaugurated eschatology. That's the, the, well, the word for it. But the nickel explanation is there's an already and there's a not yet. The church is redeemed today. She is already fully purchased and redeemed. But you know what we've got though? We've got the earnest of the Spirit. We've got a down payment. We've got a small portion of the total redemption that's coming. I've not been ransomed in full yet. We are left here in this world with a body and subject to corruption and subject to vanity. But the day's coming that the church will receive the full payment for the redemption that they have. That's when this man is done away. Now the church is groaning for that. Maybe not naturally speaking right now do we groan for that. But I tell you, put yourself in Paul's shape. He's got a body that's been beaten no telling how many times. I'm sure he's sore, hard to find any comfort. He's in prison and he's despised and hated of most of the world. And he's groaning, I can't wait to be with the Lord. In them that are saved, as the years draw on, that'll be their desire more and more as you see the day approaching. The desire to rid this outward man and receive the ransom and payment in full from the hand of God Himself ransoming and redeeming us out of the corruption. And even the body in 1 Corinthians 15 Verse number 51, Behold, I shew you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. So sleep, he is referencing people that are planted in the ground. People that have died and have been buried. Paul says they're sleeping. That's what Jesus said about Lazarus. He sleepeth. Well, Master, if he sleeps, he's doing good. And Jesus said plainly, Lazarus is dead. He was dead. And these people in the ground, they are dead. But you know what Jesus can do? He can wake up a dead man. Jesus can say that Lazarus is sleeping, even though he's dead, because Jesus is going to go and get him up from the sleep of death. Well, that's what's coming. Not everybody's going to sleep. Not all the church is going to be buried. And what he means by that is, the Lord is going to come back one day, and there will be a remnant that is not buried that's still here on the earth when He comes. There will be a church 
When he comes, by his power, by his keeping, that's the word of God, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead, those sleeping, shall be raised incorruptible, and we, those left alive, shall be changed. So those dead are going to be raised up, incorruptible, and even their body, their body's going to be rescued. You got the word hell through the book. In some places he's talking about the grave. Some places he's talking about the place after this life, the lake of fire, the place of torment. And David himself says in the Psalms, you won't suffer me to be left in hell. And Peter says, look, his body's still there right now. So see, David was talking there about the grave. My body's not going to be left in the grave. But it wasn't David that he was writing about. It was the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus was in the grave. And he came out three days later with a new body, victorious over all the enemy. So that's the way it's going to be for all of mankind. Those that are dead, they're going to be raised with a new incorruptible body. Those that are alive and remain, they're going to be changed. The garment's going to be swapped. The corruptible man, we're not talking about clothes, we're talking about a body. The body of flesh that's corrupted is going to be shed and a new body's going to be provided. How long is this going to take? in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And so, the work of God is going to bring this full redemption and ransom unto the church. Not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even those that have the redemption of God, and I say more so them, they're looking forward to the redemption of the body. Our world today and what a bunch of liars that our world has. People are better off. They're not suffering anymore. But to those that die without the first fruits of the Spirit, their suffering is far greater than what it was on this earth. People have been lied to. They've been led astray. They think man can go to heaven because he's suffered, because he's endured a lot. Because he's went through a lot. Because, well, he believed in God. But that is not how you judge whether a man's saved or not, is it? It's those with the first fruits of the Spirit. Those that God has stamped and approved with His signature. His signature is the Spirit of God. Those that are indwelled and made new creatures by the power of God. So they are looking for their redemption, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope. Romans 8, this is verse 24 now. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. So we're saved by hope to anticipate with pleasure. 
an earnest expectation. We are saved with anticipation. Anticipation of what? One day being with the Lord. We are saved of anticipation of being delivered from this present evil world. Now, that is, that's what it is. It's anticipation. We've not received the fullness of our salvation as of yet. We've not received, and I say this also, those that are in heaven, they without us cannot be made perfect. They've not received the fullness of theirs either. Why, they have. Well, then why are they going to be resurrected when He comes back? They've not received the fullness either. But on the last day, when the last trump sounds, I'm going to be changed if I'm still alive. And those the spirits, the souls of men that are in heaven, their bodies are going to raise up and we're all going to be brought together. Now the Bible says that they without us should not be made perfect. I believe that's Hebrews chapter 11 towards the end of the chapter. There's a day of consummation coming when the Lord will call an end to all things. Now have we seen that? We've not seen that. We've not seen the God's truth. We don't see any evidence of that. Man is going down. Governments are going down. The lifestyles of men are going down away from God. And it looks like that they're going to be let go to go on and on and on and nothing's ever going to change. And God's never coming back. And God's, God's lost sight. God's forgot about what's going on. Peter said they're going to come and say that one day. No doubt in Peter's day, there were probably those saying that. And so, it's not that we see it. It's not that we've received the fullness of it. We're saved by hope and in anticipation of pleasure. It's something that I'm looking for to come down the road one day. Now how can I earnestly inspect, expect or anticipate with pleasure something that I don't know for certain is coming? That would be foolish, wouldn't it? You know when they send you something, a lot of times you buy something online, they'll send you a tracking number. And you can click on that, and it'll bring it up and say it left Greenville, South Carolina yesterday morning at 3 o'clock. And it's on its way. And then you'll see arrived at Asheville facility at 9 a.m. And the next day it's going to say departed and is out for delivery. That's how you know it's coming. You've got a receipt that you can look and see that it's coming. People today, they just they we just think we're going. No, God gave us a way to know. It's not a, a leap in the dark. God provided His Word, and Lord have mercy, if there's anything sure, it's the Word of God, anything trustworthy, we have got... 1,500 to 2,000 years of history from the book of Genesis to the book of Malachi 
And we've got the New Testament as well to see that God has performed everything that He said He was going to perform. We've got evidence. Over and over again, God's accomplished His Word. Proven it. But in them that are saved, they've got the evidence and the testimony of God in their heart of what they're going to receive. They have the first fruits of the Spirit. And by that indwelling Spirit, by that power of God that's within them, oh no, it's, it's who they are. It's how strong of a person that they are. That's what makes them. Well, let's look and let's see what kind of a person that the man Simon Peter was. Simon Peter said, Lord, I want to walk on the water. Bid me to come. And he stepped out and he began to look around and he sunk in the water. And Simon Peter said, Lord, I'll never run from you and I'll never deny you. And the Lord said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the sun rises in the morning. Peter didn't believe that was going to happen either. But he did. Now that's the kind of man that Simon Peter was. But something's going to happen to the man, Simon Peter. His heart is going to be changed. He's going to receive the first fruits of the Spirit. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, he can say, Look, my time of departure is right now here as the Lord Jesus revealed to me. They're going to carry me out and kill me, but I'm not going to deny Him anymore. It wasn't Peter. It was the power of God that was in Peter. And that's the way we're all going to walk. Outside of the Spirit of God, we're all going to forsake Him. And those, just like Kevin read this morning, those that love the law of God, they love it by the Spirit that lives within them. They're not going to stumble. And they're not going to trip up and fall. They're not going to be offended at the Word of God. They'll endure to the very end because God is in them and God is leading and guiding them day by day. They can't get away from the power of God. We are saved by hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? You're going to hope for something that you've got in your hand? What kind of a sign is that to anybody? Well, I believe God's going to give me a handkerchief and I'm holding it while I pray. Does that... Now, that's silly, I know. That's silly. But that's an example. What testimony is it to anybody if I've already got what I tell people I'm looking for? But I tell you what's the witness is the anticipation of it. It's when they're carrying Paul out to be beheaded that he's saying, I'm ready to receive my crown. And you know how long he meant it? Right up to the minute that the hammer fell and his head fell off. He was looking for deliverance and he got it at the end. It brought him all the way through to the end. Now that was a testimony. If I got saved and went to the throne and sat ruling over people, everybody would want to be saved then. 
I tell you, if the glory of God was revealed, everybody would want to be saved today. If the dead were raised right now, if the victory was attainable today, but see, it's not. We're left here and we're subject to vanity. And man looks at it and says, well, I don't want to follow God and be subject to vanity like that. I don't want to have to endure what they endure. I don't want to go through what they go through. I don't want to walk in the wilderness with Moses. I want to enjoy this life. But the church has a different heart by the indwelling of the Spirit. The church is looking for redemption after this life. And it's that hope, that anticipation with pleasure that's a witness to those that are round about. It's not that we've already got everything we're going to get, but God's left us some things to trust in Him and believe in Him about. And you know what we do? I tell you, when we've got God's Word, I can say, I am sure. I am certain. Without question. He says in Habakkuk, John Wayne would probably know, he says in one of the minor prophets, he says, though it tarry, wait for it, for it will come. The Word of God will come to pass it may look like, and that's what the scoffers said, it's never going to come. He's tarried and he's forgotten and he's not coming back. Those that are saved, they know better. They've got something as sure as the sun rising in the morning. More sure than the sun rising in the morning. The Bible tells me that the sun will continue to rise till the end. But the end's coming and the sun won't rise. And Jesus tells me, though heaven and earth fail, my word, it ain't going to fail. And when the sun don't rise, when the world ends and everything's burned up and the sun don't rise, there won't be a promise that's failed out of the book. You got the Word of God, you can trust the Word of God. God will perform what He says because He can't lie. But folks, if we haven't got any Spirit of God within us, we've got nothing to look forward to after this life. I don't care what you suffer, what you endure, what you're subjected to, how long and brutal of a death that we endure. None of that matters in salvation. It's those that's received the first fruits of the Spirit. But to those that have the Spirit of God, we can anticipate. We can look with pleasure for the deliverance that's yet to come. That at the end of days, the church has something to rejoice in. Boy, I tell you, the last day that a man lives, would you say that that's probably his worst day of his life? Man is going to wake up one last time one day. But boy, I tell you to the church, it's exactly the opposite. The day that she's promoted and fully redeemed
But if we hope for that we see not, then we do with patience. Cheerful endurance. Wait for it. We'll pick up and look at that verse next time. I thank you for your...